Well, we are the SST group from Peru Fall 2009, and I'm Krista Kaufman. I'm Isa Garcia. And we're going to talk a little bit about Peru geography and food. All right, there we go. All right, so Peru is in the west coast of South, Af South America, I'm sorry, and the language is Spanish, and it's divided into th three regions, the coast, the selva, the jungle, and la sierra, the highlands. Okay, and a little bit about comida peruana, the food in Peru. Um, I mean, just like here, you can have different things for meals, depending on the family and the day, but kind of a typical breakfast would be little pancitos, little rolls with bread and jam. And then maybe you might get some tuna with your bread or avocado. And if it's a special day, like especially on Sundays, sometimes there'll be tamales. And then lunch is always the biggest meal of the day. Um, it's usually first there's like an appetizer kind of soup or vegetable, and then a main dish, which almost always includes rice, potatoes, and chicken. If you ask anyone who's been on Peru SST, I see some of you smiling out there. Um, you will almost always, twice a day, rice, potatoes, and chicken. And then supper is a smaller meal, usually something simple like leftovers from lunch, or just like bread and tea, or maybe soup. All right, this is one of the most known Peruvian dishes. It's the cuy, or the guinea pig and it's very healthy, full of iron and vitamins. It's consumed a lot in the Cusco region, especially by the poor um, children because it's kind of a cheap food to eat and also very healthy. And then there's ceviche, which is, um, I think out of, I asked a lot of Peruvians what their favorite food was and almost every single person I asked said that ceviche was their favorite food. Um, it's actually, it's fish that isn't cooked, but um, a lot of lime is put on it, so it makes it so it won't like, make you sick for having uncooked fish. Um, and then it's usually made with onions and ahi, which is a spicy thing made from pepper, kind of like salsa. Um, and it's served with potatoes, similar to sweet potatoes here, and choclo, which is a kind of corn that has kernels probably about twice or three times the size as the corn here. Um, and then sometimes also this type of popcorn that isn't actually popped, um, if you can imagine that. And then lomo saltado is the other one, made from, it's just steak and potatoes and then onions and peppers. All right, uh, pollo a la brasa, rostisserie chicken, is served with french fries, salad, and coke. It's a very popular dish, and we had it at a very also popular restaurant in Peru called Norquis. And the next picture you see is anticuchos, which is cow heart. It's served with corn, potatoes, and chicha morada, which is a corn-based drink. And then, as I said earlier, a, a typical um, dish will include the potatoes, rice, and um, chicken. And then, as she explained, chicha morado is um, made from, it's purple corn, actually and um, also cinnamon and cloves, and then cancha is that, you see in the, in the basket, that's the kind of cooked corn kernels, kind of like popcorn, but yeah, they're not actually popped. They're really crunchy and salty. And of course, Inca Cola, the famous Peruvian Coke, which we thought had a bubblegum flavor to it. Still, complaining will lead us to that.
I'm Clayton Miller. I'm James Green. And we're talking about Lima. Lima, the first city that you fly into, is huge. It's nine million people and growing daily. Um, Lima consists of two main areas. So you have your metro, and that is just crazy. You've got cars going every which way. You've got combis and buses and micros, and it's just people running across streets. You've got food vendors. It's really cool. Crazy. It's overwhelming. Um, but it's, it's awesome. And then you also have vias, or you have shanty towns that are just kind of erected around the outskirts of the city. These, that's where the real growth is happening in Lima, because people are coming from the Selva, from the Sierra, and they're coming in, they're living in Lima because there's jobs there, or so they think. Um, so the metro part, you know, it's kind of your typical. There are areas where you have really beautiful houses and there are areas where it's kind of run down. But it's all the same and people have running water for the most part. Um, but in the villas or the shanty towns, they don't have running water. They don't have bathrooms. It's really, it's kind of, it's kind of a downer when you go out there. Um, big trucks with water, they go around and they, they just kind of dump water into big pails or, fire, or like the 50-gallon uh, barrels, and that's what people have to use. Um, but once you're back in Lima, and to get around Lima, there's tons and tons of different types of transportation. You have, you have combis, which are tiny little buses. Let's see, I got some slides up here. So there's, there's a shot of Lima. <coughs> this is one of the nicer areas of Lima. And then at night, it's hard to see right now, but this is actually from the beach. This is a shot that you can see of uh, uh, southern Lima. So there's some food vendors that you, you can just, you find them anywhere and they'll, uh, they'll run around. Hey, uh, Dave, putting on the spot. You want to you wanna demonstrate how they call out what they've got? The warning. The warning? Your wake-up call. Yeah. It's like every morning it'll be on 
every every morning you'd uh, you'd hear it, and it'd be kind of the same guy that would come around your your specific neighborhood. Um, and then this right here, this is a this is a combi. This is tiny. For all of us guys, we were we were no kidding. We were constantly like this, just bent over. Or if the seats were so small, I mean, we were just folded like an accordion. And then you had the the bus behind it is called a micro which it doesn't make sense, you know, Miko is like small, but it's actually bigger. Um, and then you had a, a boost, which was huge, which is the most comfortable. Um, they all cost like a couple soles, so like 30 cents for your, your daily travels. And then this, this is what the shanty towns are. Um, it was, you know, as you can see, it was kind of a downer when you went out there. But people that lived out there, you know, they always had this, uh, they always just loved to see people come in and, and talk about and learn about who they are and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, this is some more, and I don't know if you can see it, but there's a yellow staircase, um, and a lot of people <coughs> protested and wanted to get some help in that area, and so the government said, okay, well, we'll give you staircases, and that's kind of all they've done. And then Via Maria, this is a really cool project that we went to. We were the first group that was able to visit this. Um, it's a garden that's out in this, the area of Via Maria, um, and it's, it's a shanty town of Lima. Uh, people out there are so poor, uh, running water and such, it doesn't exist really. Uh, we were fortunate enough to, to visit a, a person's house named Alicia. She was the housekeeper for Goshen Tambo. Um, this garden at Via Maria was, is put on by the community. And what they do is they grow herbs and potatoes and the common, the common vegetables that they eat there. And it's all under power lines, as you can see in the background there, because they're not allowed to live under the power lines. That's all you um, this is at another shanty town or Pueblo Jovene uh, in, in Lima called uh, Via El Salvador. Um, I was actually going to talk about Peruvian families first, but this is all right. Um, this, is a, uh, this is a field trip we took uh, to uh, Via El Salvador. The reason for this trip was to talk to families and see if uh, anything could be learned from just being with the people and sharing stories over a glass of Inca Cola. On our trip, we stopped at a cemetery, which was um, eerily vast. It was really big. Um, the reason for stopping was to see the grave of the martyrs in the history of the Sendero Luminoso, or the Shining Path, who were the terrorist organization um, that are still active in Peru, but are subdued. This is the grave of Maria Elena Moyano. Um, at age 24, she was elected president of the Federación Popular de Mujeres de Villa El Salvador, um, a federation of women from Villa El Salvador. Under her leadership, it grew and encompassed public kitchens, health committees, and the Vaso de Leche program, which uh, supplied children with milk. The income generating pro uh, projects and committees for basic education. Uh, in 1990, Moyano left her position um, from that organization and shortly thereafter was elected deputy mayor of the municipality of Villa El Salvador. Um, during her life, she was taken from a community meeting and murdered by the Shining Path in front of many of her followers. And uh, it's just one of those trips that was very educational. It was sad, but it was good to sit down and um, talk with the people about the shining path. Um, something that was very important was family life in Lima. 
Um, I think most of us had a pretty good experience. Um, my family extended really far. Clayton was my uncle. Mm -hmm. uh, Krista and Hannah were my cousins. And we all stuck pretty close and did a lot of things together, like sports, church, birthdays, anniversaries. Our first night in Lima, we were all pretty nervous, but uh, Hannah and I actually got home and then immediately went to our grandparents' house for their 50th anniversary, which was pretty fun. It was a good welcome. Um, one thing that's very important to Peruvian families is sitting down to meals together. And it seems like more and more in the United States, we move away from the importance of family meals. Improved family meals are so important that others are often not welcome at the table. Um, one day, I asked, if, I asked if Clayton could come over and share, share lunch with me before we went out to surf on a Saturday. And Clayton's parents actually sent along a plate for him to eat mm -hmm. at our table. But it's kind of understandable because the food that is bought to eat is food for each day. They don't really buy much in advance. And it shows that their day-to-day -day resources aren't wasted much, which is something uh, of our culture, something that our culture of efficiency and bulk buying could learn from, I feel like, so. I'm Dan Hall. I'm David Harnish. And during our study term uh, in Lima, we took a week-long trip to Cusco to uh, kind of get away, take a break, and get some sunshine. But uh, several of the things that we did involved um, shopping at some really cool street markets. We were able to go to a lot of different places and see a lot of the handcrafted things that were made by people um, from the the Andes that would come down to the towns and sell their stuff, so that was cool. We also did a lot of riding on a bus, and somehow I, I usually ended up in the back with the kids, and sometimes it was a lot of fun, but other times it was, it was a little tiring, but um, it, was, it was a good time. And we also got to look at a lot of ruins. Uh, we visited and learned about and just saw how amazing these things were. Um, and of course, we did a little service. Uh, this is a picture of a, a garden we worked at, and yeah, we got to get our hands dirty and, and do some work. Oh yeah, and uh, we saw some ruins. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we, like all week, we were going, going and seeing ruins, so that was kind of a, kind of a highlight. But um, kind of the pinnacle of our trip to Cusco was going to Machu Picchu, and after we saw all these ruins all week, we, all we did was go around and look at rocks. Um, Machu Picchu was still amazing because it was, first of all, it was gigantic and the stonework was amazing and I don't know, it was nothing like we'd ever seen before. So we got up at like four o'clock in the morning and took a, a bus ride to, well, actually on the way to the bus, we ran into our favorite stray dog who uh, we had met the night before who just happened to have fleas and who also decided to share those fleas with a few lucky members of our group. But it was, it was good to see him. But we, we got on the bus at four o'clock in the morning and rode, or got on the train, sorry, and rode to the little town at the base of the mountain where Machu Picchu is at. And it's, it's a town of basically all these restaurants because the only people that come to see Machu Picchu largely are, are not Peruvians. So it's uh, people from Europe and the United States and things like that. So it's all catered to the tourists. But um, yeah, so we get there and we took the bus ride up and uh, we got there and it was really cloudy, but it was still amazing because uh, we could see the, the main city part, but 
but not a whole lot of other things. But we knew it was going to clear up during the day. So as the day went on, it was just more and more amazing because we could see more and more of it. And the first thing that some of us did was climb to the top of Huayna Picchu, which is the peak that you see. If you've seen pictures of Machu Picchu, it's the peak that's in the back. Um, so we climbed that up a uh, really awesome old kind of treacherous staircase and had a great time. When we got to the top, we uh, had to climb through some tunnels. Uh, and also, we had a snack up on top of the, like, the very peak of this thing and met this cool guy that shared his story with us. And he spoke English, so that was cool. Um, also, uh, these, are, these are some steps that went up the side of this terrace. And it was kind of crazy because we decided to go up them and get on top of this terrace and, and check it out. But the last one, there's four steps there. And the fourth one, when you stood on it and looked down, there was nothing for probably about, I don't know, what do you think? A couple hundred. Yeah, at least <laughs> 200 feet, maybe more than that. So it was a little scary, but at the same time, extremely safe, so. <laughs> um, also, this is just one of the views. Machu Picchu is on the top of a mountain, but there are mountains surrounding it. And yeah, this is looking through one of the walls out to the other mountains. It was just a gorgeous view. It's, you can't really capture it in pictures, but uh, yeah, we tried. And this is an example of some of the incredible stonework that we saw. Um, the bigger pieces there are like were there boulders and then they fit these other pieces of stone into it and it kind of like curves sideways and, and goes up and it looks so smooth and there's no space in between so yeah it was incredible just all the things that we saw and the history that we learned about this is the overall view of Machu Picchu and the the peak in the back like I said is Huayna Picchu and we stood up there earlier in the day but it, we were covered in clouds so we didn't get to see um, all the ruins down below but like as soon as we got down, we saw, I heard someone scream, or yell, not scream, and I turned around and looked up to the top of this and there was a guy standing up there like with his arms out and we're like, oh, we were just up there. It was, it was really cool. Um, and then this, this is the group, most of the group of people, um, well actually, yeah, there are some people missing out of this group, but uh, overall, uh, our day at Machu Picchu was, was great and I'm sure it's something that we'll all remember for quite some time, if not forever. Okay, so I'm just gonna talk about those fleas real quick. Um, Machu Picchu is a lot of fun, but it's not as much fun if you have fleas. So the <laughs> night before, don't go to a restaurant where a dog is underneath your feet like for a couple hours, because they'll give you fleas and you'll get like 100 on each leg, and then you'll get a fever the next day of like 103 and start shivering, and it won't be fun, so don't do that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna talk a little bit about um, the other stuff we did in Cusco. Cusco, was a, our trip was expanded to like a full week instead of just a few days. So that was like a welcome change to get away from Lima. Cause Lima is like nine million people and crazy all the time. And Cusco is like 400,000 and feels small. <laughs> Didn't think I would say 400,000 small, but it is. <laughs> um, so then one thing we did around Cusco is we went to different like ruins. We saw a lot of ruins, but one cool thing was like this natural slide. Like the water had ran down on these rocks for like thousands and thousands of years and formed like these slides you could go down. And that was like maybe 40, 50 feet up at the top. And you could go in pretty fast. So that was pretty cool. Then we went to Huacay Cusco, which is in Quechua it means like little Cusco. So we went there and 
um, like we had to go up about 2,000 feet over the span of like three miles maybe. So it was a really steep climb on like all these switchbacks and probably wasn't meant for the buses we went in or the vans we were in because it, like a couple times we had to like get to the corner and then back up and then maybe push a boulder out of the way or something and then go. So it was a little sketchy, but we got up to the top. And then once we got there, we're at a place with no electricity. It's just completely disconnected from like the bustling Lima life we'd been at. And so then we, we get there and we stay in this little like cabin that this family had set up for all of us. It ends up being like 40 degrees at night. But if you look at the bed, there's about four alpaca blankets and one of those can keep you warm. So we had four of them. So you didn't need to have any extra like heavy clothing on to stay warm that night. Um, then once we got there, it was like nine o'clock at night and they had this like feast prepared for us. So we ate and then afterwards, like the father of the family took us on this little hike. So he pulls out his big cana, which is like a big clarinet kind of flute, kind of and like straight down flute. And he starts playing it and we go marching off and we're already at like 10 or no, 11, 12,000 feet. And we march up a few hundred feet more and we get to this plateau where he tells us that 500 years ago, the Incas and the Spaniards had like celebrated. They danced and sang and, um, and like feasted there together. Like one of the few times it actually, things had gone well there in that case. But the cool thing was, it, like the landscape looked no different than it would have 500 years ago. In all directions, there's nothing but mountains. And it was just a phenomenal view. So then he, like, he pulled out a conch shell as well and we all got to try and play that. And I think only James played it well. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. So then we, yeah, we got to have the, a, that meal like I was talking about. And for breakfast, they ended up giving us um, pancakes that had orange juice in them, and that's really good. And the next morning, we got to help out with their farm work. So we dug up potatoes and like some like the beans they'd planted. And that was pretty rewarding work. It was nice to actually get like, get your hands dirty a little bit. And another thing you should know about Dan Hall is Dan Hall knows how to climb. Like, that's just like a tree, like 100 feet away from where I took the picture. And he was just like hopped up and then shimmied up about 10, 12 feet. And then was like perched there, like staring at us. And then when we realized it, we're like, what? We need to take a picture of that. So yeah, we're up really high. And some of these, like the mountains, it would just be like a drop off. And, like, it was just a phenomenal view. And I wish I could have just stayed there the whole time. And yeah, and as you can see, it's like 2,000 feet down to like where we had started out. <laughs> so anyway, it was a pretty good time staying there because it was just completely removed from Lima. And if you're gonna go to, to Peru, you'll enjoy Cusco because that's a great part of the trip. And then as you can see, that's where we went down. So we got to hike down the next day. And it's, yeah, going down 2,000 feet in about three miles is pretty steep, but it's a good workout. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I'm Allie. I'm Emily. And we went to Chimbote for service. Um, you guys have probably heard a little bit of Chimbote with Rachel Halder um, selling the bracelets and whatnot. Um, it is about um, six hours north of Lima by bus. Um, population's about 400,000 there, so again, it's a lot smaller than Lima. And um, 
It's really poor there. They've got about 87% unemployment rate because back in the 80s, it was a huge fishing port and then with El Nino, basically wiped out the whole fish population. And um, yeah, put a lot of people in unemployment. So they've been living in poverty for a long time now. And Ali and I um, did different things, but we worked with the Los Amigos organization, which is a faith-based organization um, dedicating to supporting programs that, in, um, that improve the lives of poor people in Chimbote. And some of the things that um, volunteers do who, who go and work with Los Amigos, um, they have a battered women's shelter, a soup kitchen, um, an emergency assistance program. Um, there's also like building homes and um, repairing homes, and um, there's a health clinic and a hospice and a tuberculosis program. So there's like, if you go to Chimbote for service, there's like a whole lot of different things you can do. Yep, and for me, um, I kind of plugged into the prevention center programs there. When they said you can help out with prevention centers, I'm like, okay, so they're going to teach people how to stop bullying each other and stuff. And I walked in there, and it was basically like a daycare, and kids were beating each other up, and like, fighting all the time, grabbing things from my hands, and being an ed major, learning a lot about classroom management, I felt like I needed to step in and teach kids about classroom management. So I worked with them about, we worked on, re I basically worked on restructuring the prevention center program there, um, teaching kids how to respect each other, and then also implementing, you know, like, kind of a curriculum with them too of, you know, how they go about doing this program. So it was really rewarding. And I had no idea what I was going to do for service. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and when we got to Chimbote, there was, there are always like groups of volunteers um, like coming in and out um, and helping. And the group that was there when we got there was this group of like maybe 20 or 30 doctors. And they were providing um, free services at the health clinic. And so I went along with them because I was like, hey, you know, I want to see the health clinic and maybe do some like translation work or something there. <clears throat> and one woman, one of the doctors was teaching um, like HIV AIDS classes um, to women specifically in Chimbote. And um, I was like, well, hey, what about, you know, taking that kind of program into a couple of the schools here? Wouldn't it be great if someone did that? And I mentioned that to my supervisor and <laughs> uh, he said, yeah, that's a great idea. Do it, um, which I wasn't expecting. Um, so I kind of freaked out um, <laughs> because I'm not an education major, I'm not a nursing major, I don't know anything about um, like beyond the basics of sex ed, but I ended up making a curriculum um, and teaching it in 19 different classes each week. I taught in secondary school, which is like ages 11 to 19, so it's a wide, wide range to teach, and I had about 380 to 400 students each week. Um, and so I learned a lot of vocab, and I learned a lot about teaching that I didn't know before. Um, and yeah, it was really, it was really scary, um, but it was really, really good to be pushed that hard. Um, and I mean, my Spanish skills are much better because of it. Um, my ability to speak in front of people is way better as well. So yeah, it was a really good experience. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about <clears throat> my service location, which was near La Merced, uh, which is in the Selva Alta, or the high jungle. 
I was by myself, so I was pushed to learn a lot of Spanish. I learned a lot of vocabulary and uh, had a lot of time to get a variety of things accomplished, uh, even my homework. So aside from the abundance of wildlife, um, the amazing scenery, uh, our visit from the Richers, uh, making supper, and riding in the back of trucks with about 12 other people to get, to get home. Uh, my service consisted of a re reforestation project on a coffee farm uh, high up in the cloud forest in the Chanchamayo area. Uh, what I did was first we had to gather dirt and bring it together and then sift through it to get it as clean as possible so the seedling trees that we were about to plant uh, had the best chance of survival. Um, also, we, we then, after that, with Moises, my host brother figure and boss, kind of, put the dirt into uh, a bunch, actually thousands, of little black bags uh, so, to get ready for the seeds. But we didn't just buy the seeds, like there wasn't a store that sold all these tree seeds or we didn't order them on the internet. So we actually had to go out into the jungle and find them, which was quite an interesting task. Um, so yeah, we would put all these things together and, and get them ready, and then we had to hike at the farthest 10 hours and at the shortest two and a half to find the trees and then just look all over the floor or the forest floor beneath these trees for the seeds. And there were about eight different kinds that we were trying to find um, and replant. Uh, so yeah, I did a lot of sifting through junk and stuff like that on the, on the forest floor to find these seeds. And some of them were, were pretty easy to find and pretty big, and some of them were about the size of a uh, grain of rice. So that was a challenge. But after we did find them and planted them, we, they would grow for about three months and then be taken out into the forest and plant, planted out there to give them a better chance because they were a little bit bigger. The, re the reason this project was, was happening was largely because of the decreased water supply for the town of La Merced, which was below um, where my host family lived. And the, I heard a lot of stories from Moises and his uncles about the changing uh, ecosystem and things out there. The water they saw in the past three or four years even, that there was a huge um, decrease in, in the amount of water that was in the rivers and around there. Also the wildlife, the, the frogs, especially and the monkeys, like had decreased. They used to see them all the time, they said, but, but now since people are coming in and clear-cutting trees for, for farming and growing coffee and things like that, there just isn't the, the amount of water and, and rain that there was before that needs to be there to maintain this ecosystem because it is a jungle and there's so much wildlife. Um, so while I was there, Moises talked with several neighbors and shared with me his plans to hopefully in the future go to the local schools and educate people, um, farmers and high school kids alike, about what's going on and the loss of trees as a, as a huge effect to what, what's happening. So before I left, um, I think we planted just over 800 trees and about 180 I was able to see sprout and when I left the other ones were still germinating but that was really re rewarding to see like the work that we had done come to life and over yeah over the time that I was there the ones that, that sprouted weren't able to be planted in the forest but the other ones that when we went on our 10-hour hike to the to place to find the trees we found a bunch of seedlings that were a little bit bigger and so I was actually able to plant some in the forest, which was cool. I planted about three cedar trees in the, 
in the gigantic forest, and it seemed like it wouldn't amount to much, but uh, the trees get to about four or 500 feet tall, and they're incredibly large. But it was a really, a really awesome learning experience. I learned a lot from Moises about caring for, well, just about everything. He was very conscious of what he did and what he didn't do as far as like squishing bugs or whatever. So from anything from ants to butterflies and birds and trees as well, it was an awesome and eye-opening experience that I, that I will never forget, and I hope to share with other people so they will, will also uh, learn some ways to, to care for the environment and, and what is going on with yeah, everything in the world, basically, as far as ecological stuff. So. I'm Hannah Roth. I'm Chelsea Kaufman. As you can see, we were a very small SST group. There were just 11 of us in Peru, and many of us didn't know each other very well. We were all a little anxious at first, but at the end, we began to realize all of the benefits of a small SST group. For example, we were less conspicuous when we were traveling out and about. Um, we could also travel as one big group instead of several smaller clicky groups. Uh, we could fit in one combi together, which, as you saw in the pictures, was quite a feat. Um, we could sit together at restaurants, and we had more flexibility on field trips and got to experience some things no other SST group had ever done. Also, it was a big accomplishment when we could finally come together and sing hymns in all four parts, as you'll get to experience later. Um, it took me kind of a long time to decide where to go for SST. First I put Senegal, and then I decided to go to Germany. But ultimately, I um, thought that knowing Spanish would be valuable enough that um, I wanted to go to Peru. And I know it's different for every person, but I'm really glad that I did end up going to Peru. Um, there are also a lot of other great reasons why I'm glad besides the language. Um, Peru has a lot of diversity with the climate and the um, geography and just a really rich history that I'd never really studied before. Um, going on SST also reinforced my decision to go into elementary education because I got to work at an orphanage during service, um, which was a really great experience for me. And SST overall was just a really great break in, the, in campus life. Um, and I came back with a lot more energy to start up my classes again. So I'd recommend going on SST. Thank you.